How do you start a podcast? I don't know, man. We we don't have any ads. We don't have music yet. Can I tell you something gross that happened to me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, this happened recently. Uh, Sunday, actually. I was distributing Holy Communion, you know, as you do. Yes. And there was a guy that came up that uh, he... You know, like if you're going to receive in the hand, you want to have a flat, you know, you want to try to extend your hand and have it as flat as possible. Yeah. You know? Like have it, have it ready. Yeah. To make, ready to go. To make it easy. Right. To, to make sure that the minister is able to put Jesus in the host safely in the hand. Yeah, exactly. So he had a really, <laughs> a, a really strong grip going on already okay. before I placed the host into his hand. And right. I wasn't sure, like, is he unable to, you know, have a flat hand? Like, I understand. Is and maybe he had, older, like, like, rheumatoid arthritis or, like, sure. any arthritis of the hand and it just kind of was... Sure. Strong. So I place, I place the host as, well, as, good as, as good as I can, and I hear the host crack. I'm like, okay. And I see him consume, so I'm like, okay, that's fine. But then, like, I saw something on the ground. And like immediately, like you know, sirens are going off in my head. Like mm-hmm. you know, host on the like this yeah, is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. And then, um, so it, it was towards the end already. So I just finished ministering. So I picked up this this um, what I thought to be a piece of the host off the ground. Oh no! What was it? It was not the host. What was it? It was a gum. It, thank the Lord. It was not the precious body. <laughs> it was a piece of plastic. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say it was a piece of gum, and I just touched somebody. No, 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 no. It was a. It was a no because I oh, okay. I took it and it was you know wasn't like it, it was still like hard, so like it still could have been a piece of the Eucharist. So sure. I just you know held it close and brought it back to the to the to the pew, so I could just consume without anyone seeing. Right. Um, so <laughs> very quickly realized my mistake. <laughs> Not the host. I don't know how piece long that piece of plastic was. Was on the ground, but uh, oh, that's pretty it, funny. It, yeah, so if I get COVID from that piece of plastic, it's going to be from not because I'm like pious or whatever, and I was trying to like defend the Eucharist. I just wasn't. We got to make sure vigil. I mean, so yeah, you got to make sure responsibility, but. man. You take that responsibility. <laughs> yeah, you just, probably won't get COVID, but maybe we'll get that other one in China that's going around. You know, what's that? I don't know. There's another one. Bird flu. I don't know. There's like a new new virus. I think it's like it's really affecting kids. <laughs> yes, that one. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to get the com- communist yeah, virus. I don't want that. Uh, this but is actually a really good segue. Is it <laughs> into our guests or into what? Into our guests. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our guests uh, all the way from China. We have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I hate that you said that. <laughs> my our guest all the way from <laughs> from communist China, my mother in law. <laughs> no, she uh, doesn't look Chinese, but I don't know. I don't want to get. I don't want to. She's not. Gail, are you Chinese? Well, now that you bring it up, <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Something I would have liked to know. Uh, we're joined by uh, Gail Fritch today, uh, who is yes, my mother in law. Uh, so if my wife Elizabeth, whom I love very much is like the boss, right? Mm-hmm. That would make Gail the queen mother, right? Yes. Yeah. That's so we're going to address works. Gail as queen mother today. <laughs> Cuz that's what I was that's what I was told. 
It's going to get really uncomfortable by the end, but I'm all for it. Queen Mother. It's, it's really only uncomfortable for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, do I have to call her? Do I have to call I mean, I'll call you Queen Mother if you need me, if you need me to. Oh, we'll reserve that for Kayon. Okay. All right. <laughs> but quick What's question that? then. If you were, your wife, your mm-hmm. wife, John, right. loves England, or she loves the oh, royal does. family, she, she likes all the drama, right? Yeah. If you were in England, would she address... Queen Elizabeth, had she still been alive as queen? Yeah. I feel like she would have. I feel like you can do that even if you're not from England, right? Like you're supposed to address her by queen, right? I feel, you like can't, I, I feel like I've, you can't just go like, sup girl, like, sup queen, <laughs> like, you can't just, like, hi ma'am. Like, she's still the queen. I feel like you know? I would call her queen, but I wouldn't bow. I think you're, I think you've. I think you kind of have no, to. No, right? I don't think I have to because she's not my queen. <laughs> I get. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Well, it's like, I guess it depends you... on the setting, right? Like, is it is it one of those like you're casually bump into her, which I don't know why that would ever happen. <laughs> but like, would you have to bow to her? But if it was like a formal thing, I don't think I so. Like she's you... not my queen. But like, I feel like the president still bows to her. And... The president didn't the last time. <laughs> Trump got a, bu- a bunch of flack for <laughs> oh, that because yeah. he didn't. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what proper etiquette is. Yeah, well, she's dead, so it's fine. Well, now there's a king. Yeah. Yeah, we don't... People, I feel like people don't really like him that much. Well, I feel like because Queen Elizabeth had set, had such a long reign, you know, right. it's... And she it's was liked, like, kind of. Well, it's kind of like whenever it power changes anywhere, mm. you know, you can even look at the Packers. Yeah. How much people hated Aaron Rodgers because Farm was there for so long. Right. Then people really liked Rogers. That's fair. I feel like he's like he's he's kind of older already though, too. Sure. So I feel like people aren't as like hyped up about it. Because they're like, hey, he's on his way out. I feel like that's kind of it though. What do you feel the same way? I feel like people are just kinda of like counting down till William gets there. Perhaps, I don't know. Yeah. I don't I don't follow it that closely. Oh. Yeah. Did you I, want? I miss her though. I mean, I miss the yeah. queen. The queen. I think she was something special. Yeah, she was a she was an icon. I mean, she was a. She did was you a watch? Legend. Did you watch The Crown on Netflix? I'm watching that now. You watching right now? Awesome. What I'm season? I'm only at a first season. I'm only at about episode five, perhaps. Mm. What a great show! What a great show! Matt Smith is phenomenal in that role. Um, every 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 actor and actress they have in that show. Looks astonishingly like the it's characters pretty, at that time. It's weird. It's pretty it's accurate. weird. It's pretty good how like closely I, they match that. Apparently, Matt Smith looks exactly like uh, uh, whatever his name was. Oh, I'm forgetting um, his name. Prince. Prince uh, Ed, no, not no, not Prince Edward. What was no. the Queen's husband? Philip. <laughs> Philip. Thank Prince you. Philip. No, when I he should, was like 20 years that. old, we should have known that. Laura is going to be so disappointed when she hears this. I did not know that. It's upsetting. Well, it's also my father-in-law's name, so I feel like I should probably oh. remember. <laughs> Does anyone but... call? Like, I feel like there's a lot of names where the the nickname is the like assumed way to address the person. Like Philip, you would assume that they go by Phil. Yeah, my yeah, my father-in-law goes by Phil. I've never called him Philip. 
Yeah. It's yeah. just, you know, it's like Sam, Samuel, you know, how often do you call someone Samuel? Not I say not, Sam. Yeah. Not many. You know. I never just one of those Gail. names. Just yeah, one of those one, names. It is one of those names. Is Gail short for something? No. No. In fact, I have three siblings, and my two brothers are John and Paul, and my sister is Mary. And we always said my mother was extremely creative when I came around to be Gail. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is that was your sister almost named the second? John, John Paul and then oh, the second. Oh, <laughs> John Paul and Mary. Those those are my my it's siblings. Like my mine my family is the opposite. Where my sisters were very creative names, Andra and Karen. Like I've never met another Andra. I've never met another Karen. And then with me, it was let's just pick the second most common name from the 1990s for boys with John. So like, the least it? Jacob was the number one. I oh, Jacob. Yeah. Okay. okay. So they they went with John, which is a family name. John? John, yeah, in my family. So it fits, but they didn't get very creative. They're like, oh, John. What's your dad's name? Eric. But like yeah. it's John on both sides. Like I have distant relatives. On oh, both sides, okay. So. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I met your dad. His name is John. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not John Jr. J, J Jr. J, 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 R. <laughs> well, Gail, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> We've established that you're not from China. Good. Yeah, and, congratulations. Uh, Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, thanks for having uh, our thanks for having us. Thanks for yeah, Gail. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. <laughs> thank you for coming on. Um, so, we've established that you are Cameron's uh, mother-in-law, not but, from China. Uh, not, <laughs> but I don't think uh, you were you know born yesterday to be uh, Cameron's mother-in-law. It goes further back. So let's go further back. We know more. Let's let's find out more about Gail. So. <laughs> There's more to Gail's story than she's Cameron's, Cameron's mother-in-law. That is, bar none, John, the worst segue you've ever done. I know. I was like, I was working on it, and then I, I, I executed that poorly. It was, yeah, just like the Packers last night. But yeah, I mean, we won't talk about that. That was embarrassing. Um, so, are you from the area originally, Gail? Yes. Um, in fact, uh, there's only been eight years that I haven't lived in the same place. So I... My husband and I live on the farm where I grew up on, so I've done very little moving around. Yeah, very Just little. After we were married for eight years, we lived in Branch, but then when my parents moved off the farm, then we moved back onto the farm. Is that, I got to ask, is that weird for you or no? No. No, okay. No. You know, it it's, it's, was weird when I wasn't there. Sure, sure. Because I could see it, like, I've, I've heard some people that, like, they, they've they moved into the childhood home, and they're like, it's kind of weird. Like, I own this place now. But that wasn't weird for you? No. So no. you grew up on a farm? Yes. Okay. Yes. Like, dairy farm? It was a dairy farm yeah. at, uh, growing up, if you had 20, 25 cows, that was what most dairy farms had before you get to these super, you know, three, four, a thousand cow, cow farms that you have today. Factories, pretty much. Right. Yeah. So um, I was the the youngest, and um, I, I had a really wonderful opportunity to liturgically grow up 
in a tiny little mission church. If you triangulate Kellersville and Francis Crick and Whitelaw, you get Reef Smells. So I grew up in um, St. Augustine, Reef Smells. Tiny little parish, beautiful setting at the top of a hill. The parish was established in the late 1800s, and it was always a mission church. Back 75, 100 years ago, there were a lot of these little mission churches scattered around the, co- the county, and little bit by little bit, they, they disappeared and they were um, merged into the mother parishes. But for some reason or the other, we were always able to um, kind of t- to keep surviving. In, and, and it was a wonderful experience because it was a tiny church, so you knew everyone. You knew everyone in the church, yeah. and everyone in the yeah. church knew you. Uh, when my dad died in 1988, uh, we were lucky to have, we were blessed to have four priests come celebrate the funeral mass. And one of them had said afterwards, he said, I can't help but think that this is what Jesus intended when he started the church. Mm. Uh, just just the mm-hmm. closeness. Yeah. We were scheduled to be closed in 1992 because I was pregnant with with Elizabeth and from 1992 until 2016 we dodged the bullet we remained open while (laughs) parishes around us were consolidating Uh, but we we hung in there we always said that we you know God was looking down on us with uh, with special eyes so I grew up in that setting. Uh, our girls grew up in that setting, and it was just wonderful because the the neighbor across the road from you who came over and helped you out with something was also the person sitting in the pew in front of you at yeah. Sunday Mass. And that wasn't just occasionally. That was all the time. So if someone, and we only had that one Sunday morning Mass, 8 o'clock Sunday morning. So if someone wasn't there, you knew it immediately, and there was you know, concern. Well, you know, why isn't so and so here, or so and so isn't here today? And it was just a wonderful, very, um, very warm feeling. When we closed, that was what I missed the most: is not seeing your neighbors mm-hmm. every Sunday. Yeah, you know, no matter you, maybe you didn't see them during the week, but you saw them every Sunday. That's really cool because I, I, I think that uh, um, it, it, with the way you describe it, it kind of reminds me of like what, um, you know, communities were built around, like a lot of communities and even cities nowadays were built around a single church that was like, this is where we gathered, you know, this is where we prayed together. We're a community and it sounds very much like... Um, that that church, it wasn't just where people gathered to pray on Sunday or every day, um, but rather it was almost like a community. I don't want to say like, uh, um, I'm blanking on the word. You're right. right. I think you're but, right. Uh, yeah, like a community gathering space almost. Not just a place to worship and pray, but almost like this is this was our this is our 
tight knit. It's the focal community. point of focal the point. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, I was like trying to figure it out would the word be there. Nothing. I mean, when when mass ended, it was still usually another fifteen minutes, half hour before you actually got in the car and left. Right. Either yeah. you were visiting in church or you were visiting out in the parking lot. Uh, and a lot, a lot of times we went out for breakfast. Yeah. You know, it was just that. Uh, it was just a just a neat way to to grow up in the church, and as I mentioned, we were well, we were a mission. The, the church originally, back when it was established, was the mission of St. Joseph's in Kellnersville, and then somehow or the other, uh, it got shifted as a mission to St. Anne's and Francis Crick. So the priest in residence at Francis Crick would come and say our mass at eight o'clock, and then he'd go back to say a I think it was a 9.30 or a 10 o'clock mass at St. Anne's. And that's how it was for decades, years and years and years. Well, when the consolidation of parishes started to occur in the early 90s, then the priest at St. Anne's um, had retired, and uh, he kept our little, our little parish. So he would come out and just say our mass and... That was fine, and actually that was prior to 92, and then when 92 came around and we were we were one of six parishes to either, uh, we were the only one to close. The rest of them were to combine and consolidate, and someone within the parish knew Monsignor Al Schneider, who was at Kellnersville, and he had just retired from active service, so somebody approached him and said, would you be willing to come out to Reefs Mills and say Mass at Reefs Mills? And he agreed to, and it was it, it was a nice job, a nice responsibility for a retired priest, because all you had to do was to say that Sunday morning Mass. Mm-hmm, Everything mm-hmm. else was basically covered by your mother parish. You know, there were no baptisms or, you know, you didn't have to worry about any of the finances or whatever. All you had to do was come out and say the Mass. So Monsignor Al did that for probably at least a a dozen years. And when he was in his high 80s, then he couldn't do it anymore. For the last number of years that he was coming out to say Mass, he wasn't actually, he was coming, but he could no longer drive. And he was uh, living at Grellinger Hall in Green Bay, and Grellinger Hall is attached to McCormick Home, but Grellinger Hall is specifically for the retired priests of the diocese. So he was living up there, and when he could no longer drive, then we put together, uh, we asked for volunteers to (laughs) drive up on Sunday morning to go and get him, and we had 12 people, 12 different families that volunteered. So for probably two to three years, we were we were doing that, going up there. You know, this was for eight o'clock mass. Going up there and getting him, and then bringing him back. Um, and then when then he made the decision to move to Saint Mary's home. I'm not really sure why he made that decision. If it was to be easier on the people who were going to pick him up, I I really don't know. But then he moved to Saint Mary's home, and we you know had parishioners who still went to pick him up. And when he could no longer same mass because of health reasons that we thought, well, okay, you know, we had another 10, 12 years past what we were supposed to have. So 
but somebody knew somebody who knew somebody <laughs> and asked another retired um, priest from active service, Father Lawrence Gerund, who was living in the Little Shoot area in the valley, if he would be willing to come. And uh, he agreed to. So for probably another six, seven years, uh, we continued to have our masses. He also got to the point where he could no longer drive. So again, we had parishioners who went to the valley to pick him up and to bring him back. That might give you an idea of how uh, the, the, the people, the parishioners of that parish, wanted to hang on as long as they could. And then he eventually got to the point, and this maybe about 2015, 2016, where health-wise he couldn't do it anymore. And then the diocese said, that's it. <laughs> you've, you've been able to, to pull this off for, you know, for long past, you know, almost 20 years past yeah. uh, what, what was originally decided. So uh, in 2016, we were, we were closed. Most of the parishioners went to St. Anne's because that was the mother parish. A few of them went to St. Joe's in Kellnersville. I'm not sure anyone went to White Law. And we had decided to come in this direction, to come to St. Francis. One of the reasons was that we wanted to support Elizabeth and her ministry, but I didn't want to go through a parish closing again. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to go through yeah. that once in your life, that's enough. That's tough. And I still, you know, my, my concern was some of these other country parishes, how long will they be able before now you have to consolidate not with another one mm-hmm. parish, but with mm-hmm. another two parishes, as long as we keep on having the vocation shortage, that was a possibility. And I just, you know, we made the decision. decision. We didn't want to go through that again. Plus, I was looking for opportunities to continue my faith education. Mm-hmm. I like to go to, um, you know, classes and different things and, and, and keep learning. And I felt that St. Francis would give me that opportunity. And I don't think we've, we've ever regretted it. You know, it was a big change for us to go yeah. from our little parish with, with 11 pews on a side that can hold six people a pew to the Waldo site. That was quite the whole yeah. the whole Saint Augustine Church, the whole church itself, the whole thing could probably fit inside of Holy Innocent the walls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a that was a big change, but uh, we've we haven't regretted it. Is the building still there? The building is still there. It's completely closed up. When it was when the decision was finally made, then the all the the distribution of of pews and everything, all of that was handled by St. Anne's and Francis Crick. We really had very little to say on that. So um, they contacted a firm in Milwaukee, uh, a church firm who who deals with churches that are closing or whatever, and uh, all of the statuary, the pews, everything went in, in that direction. They brought moving van up and so now it's the building is there yet uh, but it's the shell of, of the building so so um growing up so you 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 went to this church from childhood yes. on it sounds like yes okay so um growing up 
obviously it, it kind of, I was going to ask earlier, creator classic, but I'm assuming yes. <laughs> um, uh, faith in the household was, was that a big priority growing up, um, growing up on a Catholic farm or my mother came from a very strict, devout Catholic family in the Clark's Mills area. Okay. And, uh, my, my father was, came from a Catholic family also, but my mother, I guess, honestly was the, the one who was more faith filled. So there was never a question about, you know, whether or not you were going to go to Sunday liturgy. I mean, there, there just wasn't a question about that. You were going. And both my parents were active in the church as they could be for their gender at that time. You know, my dad was a trustee for the parish for, gosh, probably 30 years. Uh, I have memories of coming home every Sunday after Mass, and my dad would have the money bag, the collection bag with him. And then as my mom was preparing breakfast, he'd be sitting at the table counting the collection, getting all of that written down. At your house? Yes. That (laughs) that is a level of trust. (laughs) Yeah. That just shows, though. I mean... Yeah, he did... He did that for years and yeah. years and years. And my mother, well, you know, growing up when, when she did, your role, role was more of um, um, taking care of the altar linens, cleaning the church. Uh, she held every position in the altar society, but they were, they were both very active. So when, when they had kids, uh, we were expected also to, to be active in the church. My brother's were both altar servers, but at that time, to be an altar server, you had to learn how to, you had to learn the Latin responses. So before they could serve at the altar, they had to have a kind of a face-to-face exam with the priest because they were the ones who were, were responsible for saying some of the responses when the congregation didn't know them. Was that still the Trinitine rate? Or is this, yes. this is still pre-Vatican right. too? Okay. And then my sister sang in the choir, I sang in the choir. When I was probably about 16, 17 years old is when the church started to move into a greater participation with the laity, where the laity could step into some of those ministerial roles. And the, the priest at that time was talking and t- telling you know, the congregation about it. And he said, well, this is what's coming up. And uh, he said... You know, we're going to start having the laity doing the readings. And he said, um, so-and-so will do it next week, and then Gail will do it the week after. And I'm up in the choir, and I'm thinking, what in the world? <laughs> Did is, you not know that you were no, being volunteered for that? No, I didn't that. know that. Yeah. So as soon as Mass was done, I, I went into the sacristy, and I said, Father... I said, "What was that about?" He said, "Ah, you can do it. You're just, you know, you're you can do it. I know you can. No problem." So I, you know, did it. Boots shaking the first time, but then I, uh, probably for forty years, was um, was was a lector. Wow, because you're called on. <laughs> you know, God, that, that happens a lot yeah. in my life. Yeah. Uh, Decisions are not made by me, but I think decisions are made by by God, and I'm in my life, and I'm along for the ride. That's right. Even even my my education and how I ended up being a teacher, 
I have no recollection of ever wanting to be a teacher growing up. Never, never crossed my mind. Not, not at all. When I graduated from high school and I had no um, Catholic education schooling in, in my background, public school all my life. And I graduated from high school and uh, I had to think about where to go to college. My two brothers had gone down to Madison. My sister at that time, Holy Family, had a school of nursing. So she stayed here in Manitowoc, but she was a graduate of the Holy Family School of Nursing. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I also looked at my dad. Uh, My dad was very tall, very thin, and he wasn't a strong man. And I'm not tall, and I'm not thin, but I'm pretty pretty strong. So I I had a decision to make, and and they they would have been fine helping me out wherever I would have decided to go. But I looked at them, and I thought, you know, Farming is not an easy, easy livelihood. And at that time, uh, my dad was in his mid to upper 50s, and uh, things were getting harder for him. And I liked the farm. I could handle the cattle. I could handle the machinery. Um, I could, you know, I I could do a lot of things. And uh, I thought, they need me more then I need to go away to school. And Silver Lake, at that time Holy Family, had a good reputation, you know, as a college. So I told him, I said, no, you know, I think, I think I'm going to go to, to, to Holy Family, um, and, and that'll be fine. And again, they, they never pressured me. But after I had made that decision, then they said to me, okay, we know you're going to help us out a lot. Don't worry about tuition. Will don't worry about that at all. Mm-hmm. So um, I would go to school and go to class at Silver Lake, or it was Holy Family the first year, and then I think the second year I was there as a sophomore is when they they switched the name to to Silver Lake. So I would go. I would come home in the afternoon. I would change clothes. I would go down in the barn, and you know, on the weekends I would help in the barn. But that's that's was part of what I felt I needed to do. But when I went out to the college, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I it wasn't teaching. And um, <laughs> so I didn't worry about it initially too much because those first two years you are taking your basic courses anyway. And I thought I didn't have to, you know, really zero in on anything until I was a junior. Well, Silver Lake had a way of of getting you to decide early because if it wasn't the correct choice, they weeded you out pretty fast. You know, they, they put you in a different direction. So I didn't I didn't have the luxury of waiting to my junior year. It was more halfway through my sophomore year that it was okay, now you have to decide where you're going to focus on. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll just get a liberal arts degree and then see where that takes me and whatever. And um, I took one education course. And um, all of a sudden, the one education course turned into two, turned into three. And then somehow or the other, all of a sudden, I was declaring education as my major. And I had I, I, I always say I didn't choose education. Education chose me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, so once I made that decision, I thought, okay, I love history. I've always been fascinated by history. 
I'll go for secondary education with a concentration in history. And one of one of the, the sisters, and, and I, the Franciscan sisters, were wonderful. I had a wonderful education. She said to me, Can, do you coach football? And I said, do I coach football? I don't, know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about football. And she said, well, how about baseball? No. Basketball? No. And I thought, why is she asking me this? And she said, okay, I, yeah. just, I just want to tell you that you will have a very difficult time getting a teaching job coming out of college with anything in the social sciences, geography, history, anything. Because she said those are the individuals that are also the high school coaches. And I thought about it, and I thought about my own experience. Yeah, I'm thinking my own too. <laughs> at, at Manitowoc Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. And she was right. She yeah. was right. And I thought, well, I don't want to go through all this and end up you know, not having, having a job. So then I switched it f- down to um, elementary um, first through eighth grade certification. And then I also had a double major in special education. Gotcha. So um, that, that was my, my college experience. And when I was a senior, uh, I had to do my student teaching. And by that time, I was pretty well done with everything else because I carried about usually somewhere between 22 and 24 credits a semester. And with a double major doing it in in four years, you needed to carry that. So I got to my senior year, and the first quarter, um, first nine weeks, it was some kind of pickup course that I that I needed yet. And then the second nine weeks was my first practicum, and that was at Riverview School in Manitowoc. At that time, Riverview was the special education school. Um, the the special education kids were not mainstreamed into the regular classroom. They were yeah, at, at Riverview. And, uh, my student teaching was with three- and four-year-olds, and that was for nine weeks. And then the next nine weeks, kind of like the third quarter, uh, was my practicum, my student teaching with elementary ed. Okay, where are you going to do that? White Law, St. Michael's and White Law was a five-minute drive away. So I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll go to White Law. All my classmates were going into the you know, practicing, practice teaching in the public school. But for some reason, I was drawn to, to the, the Catholic school. So I did my practice teaching in third grade. And when I finished that, the fourth grade teacher was pregnant, and she was going to be due in two or three weeks. So the principal, a Franciscan nun, Sister Mary Janet, um, asked me, she said, you know, uh, and I had told her that I really didn't have anything planned for the fourth quarter. I was done with everything. And she said, would you be interested in when when Mary has her baby to come in and and take that that fourth grade for six weeks and I thought that's a great experience you know now um, but she said well she said I've I've talked to the college about it but we can't pay you (laughs) she (laughs) said that's the only drawback because you don't have your at that point you wouldn't have your license so they can't it's not certified but I did it for six weeks and uh, I enjoyed it and the the other teacher came back for the last two, three weeks, two weeks, I think it was. And she decided that she was not going to 
returned to Whitelaw. She lived in Manitowoc, and she got a position at that time at Holy Innocence. And there was some shifting around uh, with the staff at Whitelaw, and it, the, it became a fifth grade opening. And uh, Sister Mary Janet said, it's yours if you want it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll take it. My classroom was the church basement, huge, huge classroom. Yeah greatest classroom. It was it was big, and I was a little world onto myself. There were days when I didn't even see another teacher, days when I didn't even go into the main building. The only thing that connected us was an intercom for, for bus calls. Uh, so I spent probably 10 years at St. Michael's. A great experience because of, of the principal. Uh, she was very demanding, I would say she was very tough, but the the standard of excellence that she demanded from her teachers made you really a, a better teacher, you know, mm-hmm. the best teacher you could be. And um, so after, I then I was kind of, I, I, well, just a, a sidelight. When I started at Whitelaw, there were over 200 kids in the school. The 6th, 7th, and 8th grade had classes in the gym. There were 90 kids in the gym. Whoa. There were 36th graders in the front of the gym, 37th graders in the middle of the gym, 38th graders in the back of the gym. No, no, uh, you know, and the only chalkboard was one of those chalkboards on wheels. (laughs) And that was it. That's what the the two nuns used to teach with. And... uh, you know, you you look at that, and then you look at the situation that the Catholic schools are in today, with their enrollment, and it's 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 so sad. When it came time to use the gym, the sixth graders moved their chairs out into the hall, the seventh and eighth their desks, and the yeah. seventh and eighth graders moved their desks as far back as they could get them in the gym, and then you usually had about half a gym that that you could use, wow. but that. Wow. That was, and I think my first year, I think I started out with 25 kids in in the church basement. I wanted more of a challenge, so then I went to um, to Rivers Catholic Central, and I was there for probably about 10 years. And we had some administrative problems while I was while I was there. And the principal that I had had at Two Rivers had moved to St. John the Baptist in Green Bay, and. She called up in October of the year, and she said, next fall, I'm going to have a full-time religion position open, and it's yours if you want it. And I got off the phone, and I said to my husband, yeah, like I'm going to go driving back and forth to Green Bay every day. <laughs> but things, <laughs> things. Guess well, what you did for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so things were not going well, though, in Two Rivers, and um, the morale was low, and I thought, again, I thought, well, this is God saying to me, I'm giving you a way out. So um, called up in, I think, in March, and I said, can I come up and look at the school? And, and uh, the principal said, sure, come up. So I went up for a day, and um, I thought, okay, I, I can do this for five years. I, I didn't want to just commit to one year. I don't think that was right. I thought, okay, I'll commit to five years. Well, five years ended up being twenty years, and I always say I don't, I don't, I don't know how to count. I don't know how to add, <laughs> but um, that's that's where I I yeah. ended my my uh, teaching career, and you know, so so often, I I don't know how things happen. I can only say that, 
you know, this is God, you know, up there saying, okay, now this is what you need to do, and this is what I'm going to do with you, and um, these are my plans for you. I was just listening to Father Mike Schmidt's podcast in a year, and we're on the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah has that verse where God says, um, I, I, I know my plans for you, and I think that's that's what it is because so often I have, you know, how did I get here? You know, or I, 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 right. what, what happened to me? You know, how did I end up here? I don't know. But I always think it was God pulling the strings. And when I went up to St. John's, it was great because I, I was teaching religion full time when I went up there. And that would, I, I love teaching religion. Mm. That's awesome. How crazy yeah. is that? They have a full time religion teacher. How nuts is that? Isn't that crazy? It sounds awesome. It sounds great. We should have those all the time, everywhere. Everywhere, <laughs> including public schools. I'm just no, not but public schools. <laughs> but just in in, but, in general, like, yeah. don't have the homeroom teachers teach religion. Just give them a full time religion teacher who knows. Well, what's you know, there's areas of concern with with that. I I think in, in the Catholic with having a full time religion teacher. With is that a bad thing? Not at all. Oh, you're saying the other way. I'm saying the other way oh, because yeah. I've, you know, especially in the last years, there there were things that, in, I don't want to say scary, maybe that's too strong of a word, but there were things that were definitely concerning with, uh, with classroom teachers teaching religion when they themselves perhaps were not as geared in their faith mm-hmm. as they should have been. Or practicing at all. To teach. Well, I said geared, practicing, same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, 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 th- I think that's a yellow flag today. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't blame the, the principals. I don't blame the, the individuals doing the hiring because like so many things in life, it's gone full circle. You know, 20 years ago, I, I have a friend who teaches in the public school, and 20 years ago, you know, they had a, a third grade position open, and you had over 100 applicants for that position. Wow. You know, you had tremendous number of individuals coming out of college with that education degree. You don't have that today. You know, many of the colleges and universities have dropped their education programs. Mm-hmm. So now you have positions open in in the public school and you know maybe you get get you know 12 or 15 applicants well if you have a That's position open in the still not it oh, <laughs> not you, even that be many more experienced than that than well, I well yeah when i when i graduated from point uh because i had a math degree there were two when i when i started looking for my first job while i was student teaching at uh pj jacobs when I went on WeCan, which is the teacher job posting website, LinkedIn for teachers or whatever, where you would, they all, every public school would post their openings, and that's how you would apply, and that's how you would get everything. It's all in one spot. It's really great. There were 212 openings for math teachers in the state, and I, it was, it, if you had a degree in a specifically like a STEM field, science, math, technology, you could go wherever you wanted. So I only, I picked two schools that I was like, yeah, I could, I could teach in bum heck nowhere, Independence, Wisconsin, or 
Green Bay East at an opening. So I went to both of those and they're like, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you. And that was it. Um, when, uh, when I was still teaching and I was on, uh, interviewed panels or whatever, um, we would have, it was for an, an English position, uh, sixth, uh, eighth grade English position. We had four applicants. Three of them were trash applicants. <laughs> like um, English teachers who we asked them like, oh, what are you reading right now? And they weren't reading anything. Like, oh, yeah. oh well, this is kind of a problem for us. <laughs> if you uh, like, what do you you know? You can't say you're not reading anything. So funny because like most English teachers I know are reading at least a book or two a week. Yeah, there. Well, even as a teacher, you're reading, something, you're reading, something. you're reading something personally, and you're also reading something professionally. And I was even doing that when I was a teacher. I was reading something personally much slower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I want us to read these professional things. And I don't know if your experience was the same, Gail, but professional text, I mean, professional books for your professional development, they're all the same. Yeah. They're all the same. So like you would just read your personal books. Um, but then when I left teaching, so, so uh, there weren't a lot of teachers. You could have pretty much have your pick. If you were a teacher leaving Stevens Point, uh, you can go wherever you want. Unless it was elementary, I think it was a little harder to get into because there's so many kids that go through elementary. Um, after I left teaching and I started working at, at Schneider, um, I would get emails from principals offering like $500, $1,500 bonuses, signing bonuses for going to that district. Um, I remember specifically getting one from Manitowoc uh, and I forget where it was cause I was immediately just said, no, um, but that, that's never had, that hasn't happened at least for us that principals were reaching out to teachers to try to get them to come in mm. right now. It's a paraprofessional shortage because we have all the special, every student is streamlined into the, into the main school, right? So you need all that support. Every support staff needs to be in one building. And if you're in one building, you've got less classrooms. If you have less classrooms, you can hire less full-time teachers. Now you have your paraprofessionals. Now you have some more support staff. Support staff don't doesn't make as much as a teacher. They're not salary. They're hourly. Right. And you don't need, technically, <laughs> a degree in special education to be a paraprofessional. You just have to... I don't know. At least when I was there, we just needed warm bodies. And all of a sudden, we have now you have the whole issues where, obviously, things have changed in public schools. Um, so it's it's even ebbed and flowed with the number of teachers since I've gone through, prepared for, started teaching, been teaching, and left teaching. It really depends what you're teaching. If you're still doing STEM, science, math, technology, whatever. You can go wherever you want because you're it's specialized. But if you're doing elementary, there's so many kids that go get an elementary with a special education degree that the good ones are just sticking in their jobs. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. No. <laughs> Yeah. But you would think with like the if if the the better teachers you have out there, if you're a Catholic school, you need to pay <laughs> competitively, because when I was uh, when I was looking for jobs, there was a job at St. John the Baptist in Plymouth, and I was like, oh, that'd be great. I'll go teach in Plymouth. I could live at home. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, and they were offering like thirty one thousand dollars. Uh, Actually, that's not too bad. That, right, that's that I've heard. And then when I went to, and this is all public, I'm not like spilling anything, but I was making 39 when I went to GB, to, to Green Bay. That's $8,000. $8,000 yeah, to yeah. a kid coming out of college is like, well, I can live in Green Bay. That'd be awesome. Uh, and make $39,000 or I can teach at a private school and make far 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 less right right so you've got to pay competitively if you want to try to get the best but then you run to the problem is like well okay we have the best brother practicing right and that's the issue to be honest kids coming out of you know young adults coming out of college with an education degree are going to move towards the you know are, are going to apply to the public schools because financially you know and benefits uh, so oh, if, they, yeah, benefits if they don't are, get yeah. a position, then then maybe they'll they'll look at the the Catholic school. They may say that they're, you know, when they fill out the blank for religion, they may say Catholic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a practicing Catholic and that they they know their faith. At St. John's, we had kind of we had we had a good situation for a long time because. Uh, we had a, a, a kindergarten teacher who was very, very faith-filled. We had a third-grade teacher who was extremely knowledgeable about their faith, very faith-filled. And then I had the sixth, seventh, and eighth at the upper end. So these kids had three strong, strong religion teachers. But in in that intermediate grades, the third-grade teacher just taught her own third-grade but the fourth and fifth, you know, maybe didn't have that strong of a teacher. And often, then when I would see them in sixth grade, then I would have to start correcting some of the things that they were told. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, that's concerning. We don't, you know, no, Mrs. Fritch, we don't have to go to Sunday Mass because we go, <laughs> we, we go during the week. We go to the school Mass. Oh, no. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, things like that yeah. or... Um, you know, another one often was, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to get married in the, the church if God is mentioned somewhere in the ceremony. Then it's okay if it's on the beach or or wherever. Hmm. Um, hmm. Another thing that that used to just drive me nuts is to have students, you know, at the beginning of the year walk into the first school mass and the kids sit down and the teacher sits down and no that's not <laughs> that's not what we yeah. do and you know we had we had a veteran staff we had other teachers who would take the teacher aside and say you know this is this is what you need to do you need to come down and you need to kneel well if you don't have the teacher doing that and witnessing that the kids pick that up you know very very mm-hmm. fast it's not important it's we're here for as if you're going to watch a, a, a play, you know, and that used to just 
know, bug the heck out of me because I, you know, something as, as simple as that. And that, I, you know, I, I worry about that. I, I'm concerned about that. And I, I don't know exactly how to address it. About a dozen years ago, the, the diocese knew, knew the problem. And all the teachers in the Green Bay Diocese, it didn't make any difference what you taught. You had to take six courses um, in the Catholic faith. And you could do it, I think, over a three-year period. Um, one was morality, the Bible, sacraments, prayer, spirituality, and methods. And if you were a full-time math teacher, too bad. You were going and you were taking these courses. Everyone was required to take yeah, the courses. And I think that was the diocese attempt to, you know, try and get a try and get a handle on on yeah. that. I don't know how how successful it was because the problems, the concerns that I saw, you know, were with teachers who came in after that, you know, af- after that kind of an intensive uh, six course study. But I don't, I, I don't know. And as, as a parent, I don't know how you, you know, I'm a firm believer in Catholic education. I think we have wonderful things mm-hmm. to offer. But I'm also not so naive to think that parents today are sending their kids to a Catholic school because it's a Catholic school. No, that is not the top of the list. Parents, some parents are, but many parents are sending their kids to the Catholic school because smaller class size, they perceive less behavior and discipline problems. Uh, they have, they feel they have a bigger say in what goes on at the school. And the fact that it's a Catholic school comes in very, you know, not, maybe not even in the top five reasons. And that's, yeah. you know, I, I, I've had parents sit at parent-teacher conferences and say to me, say to me, the religion teacher, well, I don't care if he feels religion. That's not important to us. I want to know what they're doing in math, what they're doing in science. You know, so you've got that to deal with too. Yeah, you know, uh, I agree. I I think Catholic education is so important. My my concern, and I, you know, I'm a medical professional talking to two te- teachers, but I think we can all agree that the kid's mind is, especially as they're going through grade school, middle school high school is still molding you know like they are learning they're figuring things out and consistency in teaching a certain uh whatever anything teaching anything um and knowing a uh teaching a rule for instance you know so like when we when we go to mass right if somebody's telling you something one year and the next year they're telling you something different. That's going to confuse the kids. And, and that, that's what's that, that part is kind of concerning to me because as a kid, you know, the consistency and learning something and not being confused by it, um, is, is important in my, in my opinion, at least, um, when you're trying to set something, you know, into, into somebody's mind, trying to, teach them something if they're being taught multiple different things they're going to become more confused on oh it. sure so sure and and you know that applies to you know that that implies to um, applies to how they learn about their faith right you know and uh, you know 
our faith has a body of knowledge. Our faith has a vocabulary. Our, I, our faith has as as much structure right, as I was about to say structure. Yeah. The, the 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 math program does the you know and and I, I sometimes I think parents think that you know the 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 faith in the Catholic school is where you go to mass once a week. No, <laughs> that's yeah. that's 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 an important part of it, but that's not all of it, and it it has to be infused across your curriculum from the opening bell to the end of the bell of the school day, and it has to be witnessed by the teacher standing in front of the classroom, no matter if that teacher is teaching math or social studies or whatever. That that teacher has to be knowledgeable about about their faith and I think that's getting uh, more and more of a challenge when you don't have a, a, a large number of applicants that you can choose from and you can take that individual who is that you know you, you know is a very faith-filled individual and that will will witness and teach the faith that's a very difficult individual to come by nowadays was teaching religion your favorite? Like if you had to choose one. I I I like teaching religion. Yeah. And I, I always found it interesting when you know, you sixth grade was always a study of of the old testament, seventh grade was usually um, New Testament, and then eighth grade and a lot of times I went kind of out on did my own thing, but for eighth grade, we did a. I always did a really in-depth study of the commandments for about eight or nine weeks, and I used the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the the very first Catechism, the big Catechism of the Catholic Church that came out uh, before the smaller catechisms, and the the kids would be so interested in that. You know, one of the things that, like, we would get to the fifth commandment and. I would say, okay, how many of you have broken the fifth commandment? Well, not a hand went up. And I would put up my hand, and all of a sudden you'd see these eyes get real big, like, our teacher killed somebody, you know? And then you, you know, you begin to dive into that commandment and what that commandment means. And, and they were interested in it because they didn't realize that that's what their faith entailed. You know, and I said, everything... Every decision that you make during the day can fall somewhere into those commandments. And they, they, they were interested. You had them as a teacher. They, they wanted to know that. Um, eighth grade, we also did church history, and they, they liked that. I had a lot of kids who would come back in their freshman year of high school and say, we're, I'm taking world history, and it's the same thing we learned in religion. Yes, it is, because for the first thousand years, church history was world history and vice versa. So you know it, you know, you know it all already. But they had such a, a hunger for knowing their faith. And that's what was so gratifying as yeah. a teacher, you know, opening those those doors for them and and exposing them to uh, to knowledge that they didn't know their faith had that yeah. that basis of knowledge one thing i i sometimes hear that i mean admittedly bugs me uh is that sometimes people uh and i've heard it will say well my kid 
learns about the church at school, so I feel pretty good about where they're at at home. And I kind of, I mean, I disagree with that for a lot of reasons. So I guess my question is, as a teacher and as a mom, uh, you like what would your advice be to you know further that education at home you know to i guess uh further for, build for the for the, what, future, for the future parent listening right now. uh yeah exactly <laughs> like you know if somebody is potentially worried about maybe the uh what's being taught <laughs> what would your advice as a teacher and as a, like, how would you do it at home? Well, did you become a t- teacher at home too? Was there, or is there? So did I become that? a teacher at home? <laughs> I, I think we became a teacher at home through example. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like we sat down and said, okay, girls, today we're going to, you know, I'm going to teach you this or teach you that. I think it was by example. Ideally, the, Catholic school teacher, especially when it comes in terms of religion, should be there to back up what is already being done in the home, mm-hmm. you know, to put yeah. the finishing touches on it. And I think when I started 40 years ago, I think that was basically the case. It certainly wasn't the case when I finished. Um, you were, I would say the majority of the kids in front of me, I was the only religion that, mm-hmm. that they were getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think by example, I, I think by part, you know, being being active in your faith, I think by making sure that the Eucharist becomes primary the primary focus for the family and not you know and, and it's difficult in today's world because you know we have a tournament this weekend we can't go to church. You know, yes you can't figure it out, you know. Yeah, like, right, and right. and when I was, you know, up up at St. John's, I would tell the kids, you you know, well, we don't get home until Saturday afternoon. Fine, go to St. Bernard's. St. Bernard's has an evening mass. You know, you mm-hmm. can figure this out. You know, it's not like you, and, and they always thought, well, that's a valid excuse. No, it's not. But I think my my parents modeled their faith by being active, you know, taking on those ministries they modeled it by having, especially my mother, having a strong prayer life. We grew up knowing that prayer was important to my mother, so then it became important to us. Uh, I remember every every Lent, every Friday after supper, the chairs were pulled away from the kitchen table, and the four of us were down kneeling on the kitchen floor, resting our hands on the chair, and we would pray. You know, we would pray the Rosary. And I think it's doing things like that. It was, we, we had a rule at our house that no presents were ever opened at Christmas, at, at Christmas time until you went to Mass. That was the priority. If it was Christmas yeah, Eve, yeah. you didn't, and you weren't to Mass yet, too bad. Those, those presents stay wrapped up until you went to Mass. And being the youngest, there was a time when I, and we had midnight Mass at midnight, so, you know, my brothers and sister got to open presents because they went to Midnight Mass, but I was too young to go to Midnight Mass, so I, I couldn't open anything. Uh, but, you know, that having those kind of traditions and those kind of rules, I think, are, are so important. 
you know, modeling a prayer life, going to liturgy, saying to your spouse, you know, how, how can we get involved in other things for our church? How, you know, what, what can we do to, to, to model that? And if you suspect, if you see that perhaps what they're getting in the classroom is not what you would hope they would be getting, then maybe you have to step in a little bit more. You know, then maybe you have to take some of that responsibility on yourself. Uh, you certainly, you know, discuss it with the teacher. Uh, no, I, I would, I would want the teacher to always keep me informed as a parent with what you are doing in religion class. Every every week, I would send home a letter every week to to inform the parents. Okay, you know, this is the chapter we're on. These are the concepts we're studying. These are the questions you can ask your child around the dinner table. And I would always have <laughs> five or six questions on the paper concerning what they were learning in school. Yeah, that's awesome. And that, you know, that precipitated discussions. Um, I would always address the, the readings that were coming up for uh, the following Sunday and try, in, in, the, in the parent letter tie them back to what I was seeing in the classroom. You know, if it happened to be the Good Samaritan, then, okay, parents, share with your kids an example of when you were a Good Samaritan in the life of someone else. Ask them when they are, you know, when they have been a Good Samaritan in the life of someone else, you know, to to try and involve the parents that way and to try and help them out to to develop that strong faith within their within their child. But sometimes I think, you know, if, if you don't see it, you know, you, you've, you've got to step in and do a little bit more of the work that you maybe thought you didn't have to do. I'm that's very totally opinionated, aren't yeah. I? Yeah, no, that's all really good stuff. Um, it just reiterates the that uh, parents are our teachers. And primary. The primary teachers, primary teachers. Right, primary right, teachers. right. Yeah, they're, they're teachers. You get that uh, wonderful. Uh, you get that wonderful uh, title when you get married. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, yes. There are circumstances where, you know, and I and I have seen it where kids become interested in their faith despite their parents not being active members at all, and and that can happen. Lots of saints. Lots of saints. Um, and uh, God and the Holy Spirit works in very beautiful and amazing ways dramatic but i will say <laughs> that's uh not the the usual not the usual case yeah i think one of the more important what i probably found the most interesting of what you said gail was you would always send in your letters you would have questions to ask around the dinner table and how I just was thinking how important it is to have dinner together yeah. as a family. I know this is like really just tangent off crazy. Um, but I, that like the dinner table, when I was a kid, like we always had dinner together as a, as a family yep. and you, John, yeah. <laughs> you guys have dinner with your in-laws or Sunday supper, right? You guys yeah. call that. It's very often for you guys, right? Yeah, it's not every Sunday, but we. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's very often. Like that's that's important. Yeah. Um, when, but then, like as I grow up, like that didn't happen as often. Yeah, and I would attribute a lot of that to as to maybe why I'm not as close 
with my family as maybe you are to even even your in-laws. I mean, I tell Elizabeth all the time that I'm closer to you, Gail, and you and Glenn than I am my own parents. Just because it, part of that is we see you guys more often. <laughs> um, and part of that is my mom was in Arizona. But uh, the fact that uh, you you both of you were so involved in my faith journey uh, as well as you go out of your way to talk with us a bunch. We see you a lot more. Like, I, I don't think I can stress how important it is to to sit around and have time together yeah. as a family. And dinner is a great time for that. Uh, yeah. I think the problem is, you know, you, you, you've got kids who have... They're I mean, so overscheduled. We have kids that Just... go to Edge and then they... He's one of the kids, he's got to go to hockey practice. After Edge? At 8 o'clock. That's too late. Right? That's too late. I mean... No, okay. that's... I, that's I, too I, late, I, isn't it? I, I'm I thinking... Like, I feel, I feel, aw- I feel sure. awful yeah. for him because like... He, he I was in bedtime loves, He loves it. Yeah. The kids that do hockey and they that do like these sports, they love it. They love being with their friends. They love doing that yeah. stuff. That's great. And that's the only time that they can get the rink. I understand that. But that sucks. Yeah, I... That's a lot. Of, that's a weird because I like, think about it. When do you get home? I think yeah. a lot of the yeah. the parents who are receiving my letters, I, I'm sure quite a few of them never had, don't didn't have a family dinner. You know, right. if there are two or three siblings, well, this one's involved in high school activities, and this one has this, and this one has that. You know, the kids would often tell me we never we never sit down and and eat you know, eat together, maybe mm-hmm. on the weekends or, you know, maybe Saturday morning breakfast or something, right. but they're, mm-hmm. they're so, they're, they're just so overscheduled. Dinner is such a big thing in my family. Like I'm looking back and it was always expected that, uh, if you were home, if everybody was home, we were at dinner and you better had a pretty good excuse I mean, like the older we got, once you got to high school and, and my sisters were four and six years older than me. So once I was in middle school, it kind of faded a little bit because my sisters would have palms practice or and stuff like that. But um, at, we would try to multiple times a week, but for sure every day growing up when we were in grade school dinner. I mean, it was such an important thing that like when my dad was moving, like we have my childhood kitchen table. Like mm. that is my childhood mm. table in our in our dining room because he was like, I want somebody to have it. And my sister had already bought and she had our, my grandma's kitchen table. My sis, my other sister had something that, you know, was important to her, too. And so I was like, I I can't imagine mm-hmm. giving it to somebody else. Like, yeah. that sounds weird. But like, like, obviously, there are people out there who need kitchen tables, but it was so important to us. I was like, I, I it's like an heirloom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like we had. Just sitting down, like at the end of the day, when parents are done with work, kids are done with school, in a couple hours we're gonna go to bed. Like just winding down, having conversation, how the day go? People, you know, if if you don't have that, you know, what do you what do you have? (laughs) You know, as a family, uh, uh, because life gets so busy, um, and like I said, especially when you get to high school. I mean, uh, I mean, there was multiple times where I. Unfortunately, wouldn't be home, but that's just, I think there's a balance of like, don't over push it. Like I think, yeah, don't overdo it, but you know, um, 
you know, don't overdo it where you're never there, but still be involved and stuff. Yeah, it's like be, a balance, be involved right? and stuff, yeah. but but there, yeah, prioritize. I think some of that stuff, family. some of that stuff, maybe changes that as you get older and you develop your own friend groups, that you have those touch points with your friend groups. Elizabeth always, I mean, not always, but she tells me of times that her and her group of friends uh, used to close down Jen's Java. Yes, yeah. and they would be yes. there past closing that's cool <laughs> and they would ju- they would just be there together and and because of that like they are we see some of those people quite often yeah. I mean, brandon more than anyone else because he's the only one that's around but i closed mcdonald's that was my friend group that's thing. somehow that's less cool it is less cool but every every thursday <laughs> in high school my friends and i would go to mcdonald's after school and do our homework and we'd stay there for six hours yeah it's long, just it's but. just it's it's <laughs> It's good it is, yeah. to gather together, typically around food, because like, who doesn't like food? You know, food brings people together. Food, food brings people together. Yeah. But as a family, but then even as you get older, I remember when I was in college, we'd have fraternity meetings. I would always go down to the brew house, which is which was below, in the bottom level of the student center, and they would have I mean, you have cheap beer, cheap coffee, free pool if you're a student. Like how great, like. Hey man, can't ask for much more. Doesn't get any better. I mean, you just you would just hang around with whoever would come down. Um, I was a little obligated because I was the president at the time, but you would just sit around with whoever was there and you would just converse. Um, and I think about how much that meant to me for the guys that I still do stay in contact with. Were those guys that would come down, and I would see beyond me just yelling at them in a meeting <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there, are, there, there does have to be a point where even in those conversations where you sit around a table that you have more in-depth conversations, yeah. that you be vulnerable a little bit more because when those chapters of your life or seasons of your life, as my wife would say, um, as those seasons of your life end, um, there are things that you carry over to the next season of life. And there are things that you leave behind. When I left, when I went to college, I joined a fraternity. I had a very long-term girlfriend. I had a, um, a very close, close, closer friends. Uh, and then when I, when I left college, I took none of that with me. Right. I had um, one or two very close friends that I still stayed friends with, but that guy who I'm still friends with has been my friend for 16 years because we went to high school together. Mm. So all of a sudden, like this, the fraternity, I didn't carry with me. This long-term relationship that I had, I didn't carry with me. A lot of these other friends that I had made, I didn't carry with me. When you move into a new season of life, and you don't carry anything with you. There's this gap, and I like to see it as a as a as a as a gap, especially where I don't know what happened <laughs> here, and I feel like I didn't grow at all from that time. I've grown more in the last six years, uh, e- even since I'm getting ready to get married, becoming Catholic, being married, and moving into different seasons of my life now, because I am able to keep things from a season of life to another season of life, I can see the growth. 
But when you don't, when you move from a different season of life, you don't take things with you because you're not being vulnerable um, or you're not trying to be vulnerable and you're not making deeper connections or rallying around something that is constant, like a faith. You can't see growth. And because we can't see growth, then you can't grow because you can't change because you don't see what's not changing. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. uh, I don't know what I was talking about. You're talking about um, like having those in depth conversations. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. I so I think that's I think that's important. I think it's important for it doesn't have to be in kitchen table, I guess. Well, but do it, you have a do you have like the kitchen table moment with yeah. your family with your friends on a semi regular occasional basis? One of my one of my close friends that uh, we're so friends. Um, you know, she me? moves in, oh. she moved to Arizona, so we don't see each other very often. But Is that my mom? From, Are you friends with my mom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Text her all the time. Nice dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, close family friends, she in high school, her family, um, would have forced family fun days where like Love literally it. they would phones, phones be gone. They would like take her phones into the sun and they would put them away. And they would do something. And some days it would be, we're going to go mini golfing and we're going to go out to eat. And we're literally all day. Like you couldn't get a hold of my friend Kaylee on Force Family Fun Day. Like she was like, hey guys, Force Family Fun Days this weekend. I think that is fantastic. I love that. Like they couldn't do, that. like it was, they, you better be on her deathbed. <laughs> love it. To not be there. Um, love it. They, it was great. Yeah. They wouldn't do any That's practice. Great. They wouldn't do anything else. No homework. Like it was like, it's okay. We're mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. You're going to do it tomorrow. And yeah. it was, yeah. I think that's important. You know, you need to know uh, what's going on in your kids' lives. You know, like you For said sure. before, like have those in-depth <laughs> conversations. And, you know, as I'm preparing to be like, enter, bring a child into the world, it's like, you know, I want my kid to feel like she can tell me about things uh, and that I know what's going on. Cause if you don't have those conversations, how are you supposed to know what your kid's into? How are you supposed to know what your kid's feeling? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. In summary, you're a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Teach. Teacher Guide. of the faith. Yes. You know, and teaching isn't like, I mean, people think teaching is, is like, I'm telling you this information and no, that's not what. No, they're teach. really, yeah, that's, yeah. It sometimes is. that has to be the case. It is, <laughs> but it's more than that. You know, when I think of my teachers, you know, they weren't just telling me things, but um, great teachers in my life were more than just sharing information that I could look up on Wikipedia, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a good teacher isn't somebody that tells, but experiences things with you. So You have to you have to do both. <laughs> I think it's very important. Well, right. Because, I'm not saying you can be like a free lolly golly. Like, yeah, you know, but teaching is sadly moving away from a teacher giving you information. Oh, well, I mean... <laughs> There's a balance. I agree. I, I agree. I, I, I think an, an effective teacher develops a relationship right. way beyond the content of what she's he or she's teaching. Yep. Yeah. You know the the student has to be able to to see a genuine concern that that teacher has for that student. Yes. You know, a, a, a teacher can be extremely knowledgeable about their content, but if they don't have that ability to connect with that student on something other than the content, I don't think they'll be as effective of a teacher as they, as they could be. Right. Right. You know, another thing, as you were talking, John, 
Another thing that I always, and, and Cam, you can, I'm sure, back this up. Many parents that I saw, their goal was to be their child's best friend mm. before yeah. they would be their child's parent. <laughs> yeah. And that that never works. No. I mean it 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 never works. You you know, you you made a decision to bring this child into the world. Now you need to continue that decision by being their parents. And sometimes, you know, you'll be able to be their friend. But a lot of times, you know, you have to do the dirty work, you yeah, know, and you right. have to be the parent and you have to lay down the law. And that's just what it means to be a parent. I think it comes around when the child is a, is an adult. Yeah. And then then maybe you can start, you know, then maybe it's more friendship than it is parent. You, you've turned that next chapter in life. But when they're young, you have to be their parent. And yeah. I think that's what kids are looking for you know they're looking for structure they're looking for discipline they're looking for being accountable and responsible and uh, i think we've lost that somewhere in in the gotta drop the hammer well if kids don't learn structure when they're young they won't have structure when they're older period or at least they won't know what it it looks like well i mean like i said before the world is mysterious there are kids without structure that turn out to be very functional, structured people. Like I said before, though, usually yeah, the exception doesn't prove the exception rule. Exception does not. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if kids don't have structure when they're ki- when they're kids, they likely aren't going to have structure when they're adults. That's like saying so. that whenever there's studies done about students who have a nuclear family and students that don't. Students that have right. a nuclear family yeah. do better, but 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 this person didn't have a nuclear family yeah. and they did perfect. Right. Yeah, like I get it. The kids, kids, kids can rise above. But do if you and I'm not saying like if you're not a nuclear family, you're not a good family. That's preposterous, and that's not what I'm saying. But the kids who have nuclear families typically have the it's, best. It's a causation correlation, right? Yes. There's not. A, it's not a causation, but let's sometimes there's a. A heavy correlation. It, typically, it's it's a lot of the. Fa- I mean, it is the especially with faith. The R the number is pretty figure. good there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matthew. The, uh, the yeah, R is yeah. Uh, yeah, I keep thinking close to one. correlation close to coefficient. One. Yeah, <laughs> I keep thinking friction coefficient. That's the R. The R, right? I'm right on that. R. I'm, I'm yeah. Thinking, oh, yeah, the correlation AP stats are. taught yeah, me dude. something, man. Congratulations. I don't remember Look the teacher's you. name. Look at you. <laughs> he didn't have a relationship with you. He just gave you information. You don't care it started about it. It with an M. It was something interesting. He, he Mr. Like, math. <laughs> Mr. Math. That's what I called him. Mr. Okay. Math guy. Okay. Big math guy. Go back to what you were saying about the importance of a father figure cam. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast oh, before, yeah. but yeah. Uh, it it is far more likely if the father practices his faith that the that the kids will carry their faith into adulthood. Not saying that the mother figure, like her faith, isn't isn't as important. But what they find is that um, if the father figure carries his faith, then the kids typically have a better have a better chance at carrying their faith. Um, yeah, forget I forget specifically what the study is from, but um, I think it's definitely that's definitely the case. Uh, I think that's for both girls and boys i believe so i think it's mega especially for boys uh the the, if they see their father yeah practice 
they will also practice. I can say that with it, absolute experience. My father is a Christian, therefore I am as well. My father is a right. My, my dad's Christian. Yeah. He's not Catholic, right. but I I have never once doubted my faith because throughout my entire life, my dad has always spoken the truth to me about God and about Jesus. Same person, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. be, be, but because he always taught from a Christian lens and told me truth about the faith, uh, Christianity, uh, I'm because of that a Christian. Yeah, because my mom's not. She wasn't as as practicing. Um, I think she believes in God, absolutely. Um, but because my dad did, there was never a doubt in my mind that Jesus is who he says he is. Yeah. We don't really touch on your marriage. How long have you been married? Okay, now let me think. I know the answer is I, w- I was I was at the I was at the um, anniversary. It, <laughs> it will be forty five years this year. Yeah. Uh in, in 2024, 45 years. Forty five years. Wow. Yep. Awesome. How do yeah, you guys wow. meet? How do you guys meet? I love this story so much. <laughs> we met at a wedding. That's beautiful. I had I had a friend. It was I had a I had a male friend, and we had this agreement. If he couldn't find a date for a wedding, he would ask me last resort. And if I couldn't find a date for a wedding, I would ask him last resort. So the situation came. Um, he didn't have a he didn't have a date. So he asked me, and it was at that wedding that that I met met Glenn. That's awesome. And his you know he he came from. Uh, parents very similar to my parents. His, his mother, you know, very, very strong in the faith. His dad turned, I believe his dad turned Catholic um, before he married his mother, but he didn't, he wasn't Catholic growing up. But um, I think in, in both our cases, you know, our our mothers were the guardians of the faith in our family. You know, they in in both our families. Uh, very, you know, my growing up Saturday afternoon. You know, my mother would haul us all in the car over to confession. You know, that's that's what we're doing, and uh, it, you know, she always kind of stayed on top of everything. And then I, I think, you know, she was she was the model for me. She was the model for our family, but she was definitely the model for me when my mother died. And we were going through, cleaning out her house and going through her clothing, clothing in every single, and I kid you not, in every single jacket pocket, we found a rosary. Wow. I think wow. we ended up with 12, 13, 14 rosaries, but in every, and in every purse, That's awesome. there was a rosary. That's you know, awesome. she was, she, she, she prayed at least one rosary a day, sometimes more, and now, um, you know, I, I like this morning. I prayed two rosaries as I as I was walking around the block. Our block is two miles to to go around, but um, you know, a lot of and if I have something that that I goes to first priority prayer, I'll pull out one of her rosaries because there's a tremendous amount of uh, how do I put it satisfaction in knowing that the the fingers that the beads that the beads that are working through my fingers also worked through her fingers. Yeah. Mm. So um you know and I I I 
think I get that depth of prayer from you know from from my mother from that connection yeah, yeah. so so witness you know you ask the question as a parent just you know witness your faith because they're they're going to see it and um, they watch everything you do they watch right yeah right everything you do everything you say <laughs> and I mean, once, it's true though I mean kids they, they're observant and yeah. once they get to be middle schoolers they'll see through everything you do also yeah you know yeah. so you have to be diligent and you have to be a person of integrity and you know because you're not going to pull it over their eyes a middle school student you that's the time where they'll see through it yeah they'll see through it and they'll be looking for it too Mm -hmm. yeah because they're they're really trying to figure out how you run stuff and they're really trying to figure out who they are in relation to you and what authority figure are they going to uh fall under if it's not mm-hmm. going to be you it's going to be somebody else and you can't control who that somebody mm-hmm. else is so you fall into some dangerous territory i want to go back to you meeting glenn because we, we went off on a tangent again um do you have a pickup line no he was extremely shy <laughs> did you have a pickup line for him i don't think so i mean we 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 met at that wedding but i was I was with another guy, and, and he wasn't with anybody. He was with a bunch of his friends. And maybe it was a week or two later that he, that he called, called for a date. But he was, ex- he was extremely shy. So did he, like, approach you or anything? Or was it, like, no. did somebody introduce the two of you? S- we, somebody introduced us. Oh, okay. You know, but it wasn't, it, it was, you know, a whole group of people. It wasn't anything that, that... Uh, you know, in, in the minute I could see, oh, you know, this guy's going to ask me out or whatever. No, <laughs> no, I was, I was very surprised when he called. Yeah, bold. What, what bold. was, what was, what was dating like? What, what was that whole courtship like in the seventies? Because it had been like late, mid, late seventies, right? Uh, right. We were married in in seventy nine. So, well, one of the things that was nice was he had a red Firebird. Oh, heck it was yeah. a new car, and, I, was, <laughs> and I, I, I knew he was serious about me when he let me drive it. Whoa, you know, yeah, that, that was it. Uh, but he was, you know, he was he was very much of a gentleman. He took me out to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he worked second shift uh, at errands, so on Friday nights he would he would come over at at midnight. After he got home, changed, and he came over, and you know we'd we'd have a pizza, hour hour and a half, and uh, but I mean he was always very, very much of a gentleman. And what was interesting is, our parents knew each other, so and and they would see each other often, and they would often end up. Both his parents were sheephead players, and my parents were sheephead players, and. At certain gatherings, they'd end up being at the same table playing sheephead with their, you know, children dating each other. What was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was that was after he had told him, you know, who he was dating, but he didn't tell him that he was dating anyone for quite a while. So was that be, was that just because they knew each other, or was he just that? Well, I think it was because you know he came from such a large family. Oh he had yeah, so that's many right. siblings mm-hmm. that I don't think he wanted wanted any of them to you know any of them to know right sure. away because I think they were going to harass him. Oh, so he just <laughs> he just kept it he just kept it a secret. 
In fact, if I can remember correctly, the first Christmas that I was over by his parents' house, uh, the majority of its family didn't know that I existed. <laughs> so here he shows up with me and, you know, who are you? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Is that, a, had, is that a guy thing? It's just what like did a, you do? What did you tell your? Because you, I mean, you told your sister right away. Yeah, I told my. I called my sister after our first date. Right. Yeah, I called my mom after my first date with Elizabeth. But when you think back, I suppose because Laura wasn't your first girlfriend, I guess. Um, for example, when I when I dated um, my high school girlfriend, this girl, uh, we had been dating for seven months. Seven months? Six, seven months? My dad can verify. Um, the only, only reason my dad knew that I was dating somebody is my Algebra 2 teacher talked about how um, helpful I was because my girlfriend was in the same class. So she would always say that how helpful I was to her and how great that was that Cameron was in a, was in a class with his girlfriend because he could really help and that was making me better at math because I was helping someone. And my dad was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? So he, he gave me a stern talking to you later because he's like, because you didn't tell me this, I looked like a jack wagon in front of your teacher. <laughs> like I didn't know what was going on in your life. So Yeah, it's a guy. I think it's a... Did you do that with... Did you keep your first girlfriend a, a secret too or... I don't know. I'm trying to... Th- I... I feel like, um, kind of, yeah. like I, I took her to like homecoming. Nice. And then my dad was like, Oh, who is this? <laughs> who, who is that? I know she's in Broadway company. Either. Who is that? And then, um, I don't think he realized that we were, like, I didn't really say like, Oh yeah, I actually like this girl. Mm. But I mean, with the other ones, I, I don't think I kept it much of a secret. It, it's hard to keep secrets in the, and then Christian's an household man. We're we're nosy. We like we ask about everything. And it, my mom could read through it too. Oh, sure. like yeah, she was yeah, like, yeah. "Where are you going?" Like, cause I lived at home, right? So she'd be like, "Oh, where are you going on a f- Thursday evening? You have no friends." Like, <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. She wouldn't say that, but she 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 thought it. it. It's 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 uh, hard to get anything past Barb, you know. Sure. So, and yeah. if uh, she didn't know, she she people would know. So. She would, oh, everybody yeah. knew everybody knew my mom. Yeah, yeah. So they would is. be like, yeah. oh, they'd run her to a grocery mm-hmm. store and be like, oh, John was on a date, and she'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, good to know. Mm-hmm. You know? So it, it's hard to I would tell right away because it would break her heart if she found out from somebody else. Sure. So. <laughs> my dad would also <laughs> he he would always tell my brother and I that he knew everything and he had eyes everywhere, uh, <laughs> which I found out was kind of bull crap because I would get away with stuff every so often and I'm like yeah all right I know it's kind of crap but he like because he was president of the school board because he was uh and in Plymouth like 7,000 people when I lived there like everybody knew everybody right so whenever whenever somebody would like say like oh Jeff I saw your son uh he'd have to specify which one but uh (laughs) Because my brother and I are twins, and then my dad would bring it up oh so like nonchalantly, like he would ask my brother questions about where he was to try to catch him in a lie, which I low key that was not great to do, but <laughs> um, 
but then he would give he would give off then the facade that he knew everything when in reality someone had just said hi to him right because one time i ran i don't know if i've told the story in the podcast but i had senior release when i was a senior because i was a senior in good standing right so uh the schedule at the piggums wiggums uh the piggly wiggly in Plymouth would go up on like a Thursday morning or whatever for the next week. So I ran over during study hall to check the schedule to see when I was working. And I got into <laughs> the Piggly Wiggly and uh, I like checked my phone or whatever. And I see I had a, I, a missed call from my dad and a text from my dad saying, uh, call me right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So I got called my dad and he's like, where are you right now? I'm like, I'm at the store. He's like, why aren't you at school? I'm on senior release. He's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah. How'd you know that? <laughs> He's like, I have eyes everywhere. Well, my I knew my sister was getting picked up. My stepsister was getting picked up for an appointment. So I, I kind of deduced that he, <laughs> he had driven past and, and, and seen me run across the street and yeah. go to the store. I'm like, of, all, of both of your sons, Dad, <laughs> which do you think I'm doing stuff nefarious at 930 <laughs> in the morning running over to Piggly Wiggly? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm I'm buying some hot ham for this weekend, Dad. That's hot ham. <laughs> when when you two guys were engaged before you got married to each other, that never happened. <laughs> did you have to complete? We had to complete what was called a PMI, pre-marriage inventory. Yeah, we did that. We did that too. Mm-hmm. Because when they we call it something different now. Is that the? Um, is that like so the, the, the quiz, the quiz, quiz or whatever they where, try to like, figure out what your chemistry is? I and think then they ask one hundred and <laughs> five or six questions. Yeah, they ask you yeah. if you think your your fiance is gay. I don't remember that one. I know <laughs> they, they ask were it now. finances so, yeah. and, and different things. Have you ever when, worried about your your future spouse's sexuality? Yeah. When when we <laughs> took it, we took it at the the church rectory, and and Glenn was in one room, and I was in a different room, and uh, completed it. We match, I think, like, I can't remember the exact number of questions. Let's say there were 106, and we match, like, on 103. Nice. That's pretty good. Well, that's what we thought. (laughs) What was the three? (laughs) No, but it was, it raised a lot of concern for the, the priest who was doing our, you know, who was mentoring us, and he suggested that we maybe rethink about postponing the wedding for a while what does that mean forget for, for, for three questions no because no, we were because too oh. much alike and he's oh. and he said there can only be growth out of difference oh. and that's fair that yeah, I mean. that threw such a wrench in especially into into in into glenn that really i could see as we were driving away i could see that he was even questioning it you know and and it was it was difficult, you know, for a week or two, and I had talked to a, another priest, and I said, okay, this is this is what happened. And he said, my gosh, he said, you should celebrate that. He said, don't, you know, don't think about postponing it or, or anything. But that was, that was for, for a week or isn't two, it, that was yeah. a little isn't bit. Isn't it about, because you get scored based on, like, proximity? Because there's, like, you can be in agreement, but you can also like the level above is in agreement with church teaching. Yeah. Okay. It's been like 
So it's like a du- it's like a double quiz yes. now. It's like whether yeah. or not your spouse and you agree, and whether or not you agree with the church's teaching. Right. And typically, it's just like a it it's a I mean it's a good starter because you you talk about the they call it focus inventory now, but when you get done taking the inventory, you talk about the questions that you had answered, and you figure out kind of where you differed, and. Because they tell you like which you know they don't tell you specifically which ones, but you have a conversation about which ones you thought were weird, and then like it it all comes down to interpretation, and it's more or less now like to get conversation started specifically more around like not specifically church teaching, but it's more or less because of like how are you both thinking about how things are going to run when you get married, because the church teaching the focus couple will address with you like hey this is what the church teaches stop. Right. Um, but when you think about <laughs> how marriage is supposed to go, <laughs> where when you get married, lots of things change. You begin to share everything. Like you're supposed to share your finances. You're supposed to live together for the first time. You're supposed to do other things specifically to the marital right for the first time. And when, when you're not, when you're not living up to that expectation and you start thinking about, uh, how is your life going to change? If your life isn't going to change at all, those those conversations that you have from that focus in inventory don't really help because you're already living together. So you're already doing things a specific way in like how you run the finances or how you run like how the home runs or how you interact with each other. That's why it's so important to not live together before you get married because if you're going to get married, it's, it has to be a change. So what is going to change in your life when you get married? If the only thing that changes is that you now you wear a wedding ring, what's the purpose? Right, right. If I recall those, uh, there's a lot of questions too on like, um, maybe you touched on church, essentially like, a lot of, yeah, there's, there's a lot of morality a lot of, um, questions in there. Yeah, a lot of morality questions, but then there's also a lot of family. It's like there was a lot of yep. like, mm-hmm. how is the family unit going to look? Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's interesting though because I feel like uh, that that person, like the priest that it said, oh, like you're too similar. I feel are, the test must be different. Then is the test different? Oh, I, it, I'm, I'm sure I'm it's sure changed 40, many, yeah, many things many times now, but. Because the more differences you like the nowadays, it's like they address, um, like red big red flag ones. Yeah, like they. Well, address, you don't lie with church teaching, right? We never wildly different. Yeah, we didn't have any like big red flag ones. Uh, Congratulations. Like the, yeah, there was like very minimal difference things. Uh, like, because there's a couple like weird questions in there. Some of them are some of them are definitely subjective. Kind of like, like goofy, like, not goofy questions, but like some of them are just kind of like based on how you interpreted the question right. itself. Yep. Um, and I don't think they, I shouldn't say care, but I feel like they're kind of like throwing questions just to start a conversation. Yeah. And that's, a lot of that's times. Really, it would be interesting but, to take it again. Yeah. I think I feel like, well, yeah, maybe I want to find it. Maybe, maybe you find those things. I'm just sure like you do can, it? but I feel like we, <laughs> Elizabeth and I have talked about in the past being a, we've been told, a couple of times that we'd be a great focus couple. Yeah, you guys would we've, be. We've always wanted to wait until we've had children in the world because uh, I don't know if it's just like a I feel 
like there's a level above marriage to marriage with children, like living out your marriage with children and living out your marriage mm-hmm. without children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different level. And we've kind of felt like unworthy. I mean, I think I've talked about this too. Like uh, it's weird for me to, to speak on matters of faith to uh, men who are, who are fathers because I don't have the life experience. I don't have that experience. I, what, like I can tell you from a teacher's perspective, how I think that parents should treat their children or work with their children, but I've never had my own children in the world. So how can I tell a father who has a kid, like what they should be doing? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's always been the, it's been the bar for us. uh, So not doing that. We were kind of, we're, we kind of thought that we'd have enough time that we could uh, be Julia's focus couple, <laughs> Julia, who we've had on the podcast, but too late for that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be funny. That would have been really funny. <laughs> I don't think it would have worked out very well. Could you have been? Uh, yeah. Or are you too close? Okay. Yeah, we, like we, were, we probably definitely like, could have. Uh, it was, it, you know, it would have been probably weird. Like, <laughs> I don't even know all that stuff about Julia. Yeah, that's true. Keep the, good. keep the friendship professional. Keep the I'm mystery scared. alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't even know where to get off on so many tangents. I don't even know where you were. Can I just... Oh, you were... You were uh, oh, go ahead, please. I, when um, John was talking about, you know, dating, when the, f- the very first time Glenn went with Mass to me, with, with me... Um, after mass, three of the men of the parish kind of cornered him, and uh, um, you know, I introduced him, and they asked him, "Okay, where, where do you work? Who's your father?" And he asked him you know, four or five different questions, <laughs> and we got to the car, and he said, "What was that about?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, they're very protective of of me, but it was just you know, they kind of gave him the third degree, uh, you know, making sure that 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 he was." You know that he was worthy of me and everything. It was just kind of a cute thing to do. It's kind of cute. Yeah, they were. I, I had think the, they were I had serious di- about it. I had a different vibe. I I thought I thought you were going to say they're Knights of Columbus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever trying to corner the, the Knights join the Knights of Columbus? <laughs> no, no, they were. They wanted to make sure that uh, that he was on the yeah. up and up. And as that's your uh, home parish, right? So yeah. Coming full the, circle. That was again the you know yeah. the the advantage of growing up in that in that little Tight parish. Yeah. They they. Uh, they they kept an eye on on me. I guess that's kind of one of the advantages of. I was actually thinking before, like now that you've been part of a uh, a larger parish for a few years, and then but you've been part of a very very smaller parish comparatively to St. Francis. Uh, what are kind of some of the um, things that you like about? the larger parish versus things that you like about a smaller parish. I mean, you touched on, you'd really knew people very, very well at the smaller parish, but what are some of the kind of things that you're like noticing about St. Francis where it's like, Oh, this is something I didn't have. Well, I think the opportunity for, to be more involved. I, I finally joined the St. Clara society, but I like, you know, I, I, I like to hear homilies from, different perspectives. I, I like, you know, I enjoy the, the three priests. Uh, I, I, I enjoy the music. 
uh, you know, very, very much so. Just, I, I think, more opportunities to live out your faith yeah. that I didn't have, didn't have before. Yeah, and I guess like there's a lot of different ministries. Yeah, of mm-hmm. that we're we're lucky to have that at St. Francis. A lot of different ministries that if you are interested in something, there's probably a ministry for it. And if there's not. You can start it. <laughs> we, start well, speaking of ministry, we could use another six thirty sacristan because it's just me, <laughs> which so, is fine. I don't mind. I don't mind. Uh, yeah. It's fine. But you know, <laughs> if I don't do it, then uh, another lady who is phenomenal uh, will have to do her fourth mass of the weekend. If 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 I don't <laughs> if I'm not the sacristan at six thirty, so <laughs> I did yeah, that it's... for a number of years too at our little parish. Yeah, yeah, I was the sacristan. Yeah. It's. It, I really enjoy it, but it, you know, sometimes it's nice to change it up. Go to nine in the morning at Marshall, and then have the rest of our Sundays. Yeah, it was one and mass where I did the readings. I was the altar server, and I was the song leader. <laughs> that was a long mass. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, quite a bit of responsibility. That's a that's a, a nap after mass one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. You know what else I've learned to enjoy much more now. Uh, when I when I get to go to mass, just to like go to mass because I'm, God has blessed me with the ability to be a sacristan, so I'm a I'm sacristan very often. Uh, so when I go to mass, I'm on like I'm you know signing up for mass, making sure things are going on. Typically, I'm also a Eucharistic minister because six thirty doesn't have that many ministers, and if I get extra people, I need them to be electors because. You can't really be a lector and a sacristan. It's just, you know, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, but, like, so, like, today is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So I got to go to the Mass. I went to the Mass before, 5 o'clock at Waldo, because I knew that Father Matt was going to do a lot of it in Spanish. Um, I was very curious to see how that how that would go and with the Spanish, with the Spanish music and um, kind of the readings in Spanish. And I just wanted to see kind of how that, how what that looked like. Um because I've been to like Latin masses where you don't know what's going on because you don't know Latin. <laughs> right. uh, but I've never been to a, a, a Norvis Odo mass in a different language. So I was just really curious what that would be like, yeah. especially for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, now it's American, so it's not uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe isn't technically a solemnity for us because it's America. But um, I got to just go to mass and sit in the way back and just be at mass. As not something that I get to experience very often. Yeah, what was your experience like? What was it? It was it was really neat. Yeah. It was really neat. I haven't been to. I didn't uh, get to a Saint. Oh my gosh! Uh, sorry, uh, a Guadalupe. Our Lady uh, Guadalupe. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Blanking on the words there. Our Lady Guadalupe Mass in Spanish. Yeah, it was. It, that it, had to be a new experience. Well, different. The, so they have. Um, we have a very vibrant. Uh, Hispanic community yeah. now in, yeah. in St. Francis. We've got the Spanish Mass. Uh, and Father Matt's is a Spanish Mass, I right. think, at noon on Sundays at, at Waldo. So all the ministries are done by um, our uh, people from the Hispanic community. So the music is uh, done with guitar and uh, it's in Spanish. And it's, I love, yeah. uh, I love it. It was great. It was, it, and I do not, John. You I know can you don't back like me guitar. up. I hate guitar. Typically, it masses, like, because it it borders too much on praise and worship for me, and that's that's mm-hmm. tough for me to. Uh, it's not my it's not my preferred form of prayer, um, but 
because it's so culturally like integrated that kind of music right. you know uh it was really cool and uh two of the servers are are boys that we have at life teen so that was also super cool to, to see them um gail knows who i'm talking about those boys are great uh and all the all the readings were in spanish yeah um which was cool good you know uh and then uh, father matt did a lot of the prayers uh and the eucharistic liturgy in in spanish yeah um and it was just really cool to see that community uh, integrated, that Hispanic community integrated with, you know, the normal, not normal, but the other people of Manitowoc who are not of the Hispanic community at the same mass. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, a, it was, it was cool because you, you get to see like little bits of heaven where these different cultures are within each other at the mass because the mass is of the source and summit. Like I can go on Sunday and not see a lot of people from our Hispanic community, but I can go to this mass here and see both communities, I guess they're not separated. Yeah. They're still the same Francis community, but you get what I'm saying. Right. Um, it's just, it was just, it was just really, really cool. Yeah. It, it was cool. really cool. We experienced Easter a few years ago. Uh, yeah, that's right. Because Laura <laughs> uh, unexpectedly got off on Easter. Yeah. She's supposed to work. And uh, we were like, well, I guess we'll go to, we'll go to, but the only mass that was like um, at that time um, that we like realized you'd be off was the Spanish mass in St. <laughs> Thomas. So I was like, let's go to St. Thomas. And I went to vigil the night before and it was great. It was great. I mean, it was, it, it showed the, uh, how universal as well. Like I didn't know all the words. I took Spanish through uh, freshman year of college. Uh, and that was about it. Um, so you knew like 5% of the Right. So I know 5% five, 5 of the words. But because I've been to so many Catholic masses, I knew what was going on. Yeah. The mass is the mass. I could the do mass the mass in mass. my head in English while still participating with this community mm-hmm. and not feel weird. Like I yeah. was like, people are like, do you feel, weird? I didn't feel weird at all. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't know exactly what they, exactly what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, especially when it came, when it came to like um, the homily. Right, like yeah. I, I didn't. Not really much you that, either. But also, you can do a mass without a homily, you know. So like, it's true. It is the least important the least part of the mass. <laughs> important part of the mass, right? So like, but like the songs, I knew most of the songs in English. So like, did I sing along in Spanish? Yeah, because I had the missile there. So I, I try <laughs> to do my best. I try to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just shows the how awesome and universal our church is. Uh, you can go anywhere in the world, and. Um, and know and participate and feel like even though I don't know people here, mm-hmm. I feel like I am welcomed. Mm. It's almost like if there was a universal language mm. for the mass, <laughs> we didn't have to have any of these issues. Be interesting. At all be interesting. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's my spicy take for the day. Spicy. Um, so. Gail, how long were you and Glenn married before you had started having uh, children? We were married seven years Whew. before we had Anne. Mm. I had some problems mm-hmm. prior to that, sure. um, but yeah, seven years. It was it. It it was a difficult time because when all your friends are pregnant or all your friends have already 
you know, have have kids and you're not, that's that's tough. You know, I, I that's hard for anyone to be in that position mm-hmm. because then you, you know, is it ever going to happen? And if it, you know, what's the next step if it doesn't happen? And that's that's tough. I think it's tough really for, you know, the, the woman to deal with. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how was that transition then for your, like, what differences did you notice that clock is wrong? Yeah. No, I, no, I know. <laughs> the clock on the wall here says uh, uh, 10.55. It is not 10.55. No, I was born uh, so certain around this stretch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just had that look in your face. I was like, oh, no. No, it's that <laughs> anyway, stretch. Anyway, uh, so what was that transition like? Like, what did you notice about your marriage before you started having kids and afterwards? Boy, that's a great question. I, you know, we were so much on the same page, and I, I knew that I was going to have a partner, and it was going to be that that I wasn't going to be in it alone. Mm. You know, uh, he got up for the three o'clock feedings as much as I did. Well, you know, with Elizabeth when she came home from the hospital. We got three months with her never waking up at night. Three <laughs> months, and I thought, wow, thank you, God. This is a breeze. Well, we hit three months, and it all all <laughs> fell apart. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I, I knew he was going to, going to pick up a lot of the responsibilities and, and be there, there with me. So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't look back at it as being this, you know, earth shattering change you know when when kids came along uh, no you know and he he can make meals as much as I can and um, it was just a, a, a good I don't want to say a 50 50 it's more like a hundred a hundred right yeah right. yeah yeah, um, yeah. It, to me it, it I don't recall it as being you mm. know a, a great change mm. and then because there's six years difference between the two of them, I always, for the longest time, I said it was like raising two different families because mm. the, the age difference was big. I mean, you don't think six years is that big, but it is. And right. they never, you know, they were they were good sisters, but they never really bonded until they were both older. Right. And by by older, I mean adults. Adults. Ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they started to reconnecting, and that was something that always concerned me because there always seemed to be that distance between the two of them. But that's when that's when they reconnected. Mm. I think siblings. Like I looked at my own family. Like you start off as friends, and then like that middle school, high school, eh, maybe you like each other most days. Why do you think? Why do you not. think that is? As as a, as a twin I myself, just, I think it's just hormones. Can yeah. I, I? I'll be totally honest. Like as a as a healthcare provider, the best way I can describe it is they're just going through a lot of changes. They don't know who they are. Their identity is like they know who they are. I shouldn't say that, but like they're going through a lot of changes. And like I just think it's growth and hormones. Like they just they trying to find themselves yeah. outside of right. outside of the family unit. Right. That's and I mean, if it's yeah. like if they're like enemies i mean that's probably a li- there's probably a little bit deeper there mm-hmm. maybe but if they're mean to each other every once in a while that's just they're 
they're hormones. I, I and then I think like you know they get older, they hit their twenties, they get out of college. Now they're like, well, we're siblings, you know, and you went your path, we went our path, and um, you know, we're mm. now let's be friends. You know, like I I I look at my own siblings and like we never really were like enemies or anything like that I just wasn't tight with my siblings though when they were in high school and I was in middle school but now we're best friends you know I mean not best friends my wife's my best friend but like now we're very close you know like um I just think that that's something that they go through so that's yeah that's cool that they how what's the gap year again six six, six years okay yeah so that's a yeah it was one's graduating high school one's just kind of going through middle school so mm-hmm. yeah yeah did uh, do both your kids? Well, obviously, I know Elizabeth. Elizabeth I've never met your uh, oldest daughter, but does she live nearby? She lives in Depeer. Oh, okay. Depeer. Gotcha. So. so yeah, they're they're close by, which I, you know, I think is so important. And I'm so thankful for that they're as close as they are because, you know, being in the classroom, I would see. We got to a point where we dropped grandparents day because we had so many kids mm. who lived so far away from their yeah. grandparents sure. that it didn't, you know, and to me that was so sad, you know, that was just so sad not to have, you know, everyone says, Oh, well, you know, I can call them every day or, you know, we can FaceTime or Not's whatever, but you can't hug them. Mm. You know, you, you can't get that, that pat on the shoulder for a job well done, or you, you can't get that, those tears for, you know, you, I, I need help. I need you here. I, I think that's just something that we've lost in our society. And not think, and it's not for the best. Yeah, what do you think that is? Why have we lost it? Yeah. I think there's different priorities now. You know, mm. Priorities are the paycheck. The priorities are me first rather than, than family first. I think, you know, all those priorities have shifted, mm-hmm. have changed. Yeah. Well, it's we, also so much easier to to move yeah. out. I mean, when I was growing up and people would tell us like that you typically you die within like 50 miles of where you're born, right? Uh, well, I was born in Milwaukee, so that's probably not gonna happen. Because um, Matt Twag is 80. <laughs> anyway. But then you would you you would always kind of find your way back to where you would live, and I remember like thinking like how crazy is that that they're not, never going to come back to the south, the northeastern part of the state of Wisconsin. Like I wanted to go to Texas. I wanted to like go out and you know go go as far away from the area as, as I can um, because I was because it was so easy to. It was yeah, like I had mentioned yeah. before. I could have taught anywhere in the state. I could have taught anywhere in the country if I wanted to wait five minutes <laughs> and wait to apply until I had gotten my actual teacher's license. If that was the case, I'd be in Texas. But because it's so easy with the internet and, um, well, basically with the internet and how globalized our, you know, our world has become, that you can just very easily from Wisconsin apply to a job in Texas and get it and then move right. to Texas when yeah. in reality or not in reality, but, um, somehow I, I'm in Manitowoc. So I'm 20 miles away from where I grew up. Yeah. Was that movie, uh, planes, trains and automobiles or whatever. <laughs> right. The world's gotten very automated, you know, and like you touched on, 
you, you know, you can live in Manitowoc and apply for a job in Alaska, you know, mm-hmm. and because of the internet, the internet, you know, allows you to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, uh, it was paper applications, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so you had to go to the physical business, grab an application, fill out an application, put that right. application back in. <laughs> so, or you had to mail it, right. you know, and uh, so I think a lot of it is just, it's so easy to travel and well, you don't put your roots down anymore but i also either. but i also think that there is that um lost value because there has to be both right there has to be the convenience but then there also has to be the mindset of of and it's not saying that like you know i have a lot of great friends family members who who moved away you know it's just like they were like you know i just i want to experience something different i do and i think there's beauty in that and i think that's okay but I also think that there is a a lost um, value in that nationwide of like I don't need to live where I grew up because and a lot of and I think it's a lot of resentment towards small towns. <laughs> um, I find my generation has this weird resent. I think you and I are the exception. <laughs> I could live in a small town. I love Manitowoc so much. I couldn't live. In, I could live. I could live in a small. I mean, Manitowoc is the limit for me. Yeah, I couldn't live in. I should say, I couldn't live in unincorporated Wisconsin. Like oh, yeah. when, like totally different. Like when I drive on what's the highway that connects Manitowoc or um, Green Bay to Minneapolis? Like, is it thirty two? What's that highway? 29? 29. 29. 29. Thank you. Yeah, 29. There are a lot of towns I could not live in. (laughs) You know, like if Laura was from one of those towns, we would have a very serious conversation of where we (laughs) lived because I know I couldn't live there. Right. But um, I can make most places home. uh, But I think there's a lot of people that in our generation have, you know, resentment towards living in a smaller town because there's nothing to do or, oh, why would you live there? Because... You know, I don't want to live in my hometown. Yeah, because wh- like, why would yeah, I but live? You push like, why? Why would I send my kids to the same school that I went to? And it's like, because, because why not? Because it <laughs> because it makes your teachers feel old. <laughs> it makes your teachers feel old, and it and you know you get that you get that little bit of payback. We had a teacher in, in Two Rivers that would uh, he he would always say like, oh yeah, I taught your mom. Yeah, I yeah. taught your I taught your dad. Yeah, I never I never had that arrowhead, but because my like, parents. Oh my didn't live in the area but um but yeah it i just think there's there's that lost value um and it's the convenience though it should like, also I think be it's, like it's both let's use that as a as like a tool like it's it is great that we're able to because the world has become so globalized it's very easy to visit a lot of places it's very easy for me to drive out west and to to see all the beauty that america has america is a beautiful country yeah it's america number one right yeah, it's there's a lot I mean, of beautiful places. America is different everywhere you go. Yeah, but you can go other places and visit there and experience the culture and experience everything that you want to experience without having to live there. Right. Like, I would love to see Tokyo someday. I have no desire to live in Tokyo. Right. Because I can't live in a city that big, and I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it's very it would be very easy for me to go visit there. Yeah. You know, um, but when we don't put our roots down anywhere, when you, if you don't put your roots down anywhere, what, what is your community? Mm -hmm. What, what is driving you forward? Right. 
what are you going like because when something happens where do you go back to like of course we should our first and foremost root should be in god right absolutely yeah. be, but <laughs> like when things get really hard it is it is very difficult to just be like all right god is enough for me and i'm going through this really hard time god is enough for me right look <laughs> there are a handful of saints who can say that 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 and when that you say handful able, like literally a handful like very, take a handful of saints that <laughs> yeah. were able to yeah. in times of great peril and they were alone yeah were able to have the faith super mega strong perfectly strong uh to just rely on god uh for me that's not the like that's not the case like i yes when things happen in my life that are very very difficult like my first inclination is to go to my wife. Right. Also to God. Right. But it's hard for me to be angry at God. It's also not what God, God calls you to do though. Like God doesn't call you to solely rely. Like he calls you to rely on him, but he also doesn't say rely on me only and -hmm. nobody else and isolate yourself from everything. Uh, No. Right, right. Yeah, like if, biblically, like in scripture, community is very much rooted in there. You said like twelve apostles, whatever. right? Like, there's a reason. Like, Jesus didn't build his; it, it, he didn't do it alone either. Mm-hmm. You know, like could have, but he didn't. He could have, but he thing. didn't. That's the thing. Like, yeah. he could have. He very well could have, but he didn't. Right, right. Like he relied on. I shouldn't say relied on, but like, well, I guess relied on a little bit of the apostles to Mm -hmm. He built the church church. through the apostles. Right. So, um, like we're called to, to have that community outside of God. Like, right. And and if, and if that community is centered in God, how much more powerful and, and, and supportive Mm -hmm. it can be. And it's not the same thing, Gail, like you were saying before to have a conversation over FaceTime or over the phone. Like there are some points, yeah, where that's necessary. Sure. But it isn't as good as, mm-hmm. right. you know, it isn't as good as I can call my mom all I want. She's in Arizona. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. With my siblings. Like I love them. They live in Minneapolis. I love visiting them, but it's just not the same. Yeah. Versus like the conversations we have over FaceTime are, are okay. But <laughs> pale in comparison to the conversations we have in person. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, man. We could have those conversations. We just don't, you know, because FaceTime's just, it's it's FaceTime. Yeah, you know, you're using it for, uh, How you for doing? a purpose. Yeah. 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 Which I think is pretty cool. I think it's it kind of cool. adorable. It is cool. You guys do that. My, yeah, my, it's usually my nephews just um, using it to put emojis on the <laughs> screen. My sister gives them like three minutes at the end of each call to just, do whatever they want with the emojis and they get pretty creative sometimes with like because you can create like a face emoji that goes over your face right and uh what does that mean it's like a um um okay is it bitmoji right like everybody has that bitmoji you're not helping me um (laughs) oh yeah you don't have you have an android right you don't have uh i mean yeah Okay. Is that, is that an iPhone thing? Okay, the best way I can describe this. Oh, wait a minute. I know what this is. Yeah. Because is, Elizabeth Elizabeth Grinky told me when Gail Fritch started using Bitmojis. Yeah, so like <laughs> it looks like yourself, right? 
Yeah, um, I remember that. <laughs> so my nephews created uh, some very interesting ones, and uh, they love to use them when they talk to me. So one of them looks like this, like, genie or something like that. It's really weird, but whatever. <laughs> they just saw Aladdin, so they're like, the genie. So they like to use that one. It's pretty funny. I've gotten some pretty fire gifts from Gail, too. Yeah? Are you over text message? Do you like to use gifts now? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I'm proud of myself. Yeah. No, I love that. Let's just show you. Uh, I'll fly. I, when, we get, when we end, I'll show, I can show you <laughs> some gifts. That's awesome. That I've gotten. I don't think my, my dad isn't texting gifts, so I give you give you some credit. We text him in gifts all the time. I don't think I've ever received a gift text from my dad. I have one, two, three, four former students who they're all in college now that I've stayed in contact with. How's that feel? It's neat. Yeah. You know, and and every every Monday morning I text them have a good week. That's awesome. Gift, mm-hmm. you know, and you, there's there's so many you can choose from yeah. and uh one of them I thought was home for Christmas vacation, so I didn't text her one. And Monday night, I open up my phone, and there's a mes- message from her, and she said, why didn't you text me this morning? Oh. I said, well, aren't you home? And she said, no, I've got finals today. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I... Oh, that's so cute. Isn't that cute? I that's love adorable. That. I love that. That's really cool. But that's about as technical as I am. It's... Not good, but that's all right. That's okay. That's, that's as okay. technical as you need to be. <laughs> <laughs> How far are you now in your walk? We, I am, we talk about that. What is that about? I am um, past Bozeman, Bozeman, Montana. When I retired, I decided that I was going to walk to the West Coast. I would keep oh, track of my okay. mileage and just to see if I could make it yeah. to the Pacific Ocean. So I started on highway, no, I, I started, what is it, in the 94, I think it is, Yeah. Um, through Minnesota, South Dakota, uh, Wyoming, and then it goes north into Montana. So now I am, I would say about a third of the way through Montana, 1,365 miles. You ever been in Montana? No. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. That's really cool, though. I, I is it an app? No, I no, just, just I just track keep track of it by hand, and then I, I, whatever little city or whatever, I'm I pull it up um, on the internet and see if there's anything there that's interesting, museums yeah. or whatever. And that's Montana cool. is better than South Dakota. South Dakota was a long haul with with no. It, major yeah. major cities but montana's a little bit better outside of mount rushmore south dakota is yeah there's like yeah, wall drug mm-hmm. and uh we stopped <laughs> I feel like there. everyone goes there though yeah but you don't need to yeah like, you don't you, we you didn't stop we there didn't. We... for the for the bumper sticker that you won't put on your car although what the heck is wall drug or the i stopped at wall drug oh or, sure yeah. sure yeah. So I was the reason I asked was an app because I heard there's a an app that you can. Are you Lord of the Rings? Do you know? Yeah. Not a big fan. I know of it though. Okay. You know, I've, I've watched the trilogy and everything. Yeah. So you can walk from the Shire to Mordor, and it tracks. Yeah. And then and then it gives you an update. Oh, today you're in, uh, wherever I don't know. 
Uh, I was going to say, can you Gondor. name another place? Yeah. <laughs> you're in Gondor today, you know, like you're on Just the Just past the Prancing yeah. Pony Inn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um. Well, yeah, look, they're that. taking the Hobbit's Dysengard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You just got trapped. <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien captured. is a genius. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. genius. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's two hours, 15 minutes. That's impressive. Uh, maybe about 45 minutes of good content. I and that was all when Gail was talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> it was great, though. It was great. <laughs> you know what I forgot to do at the beginning of the... Plug the, the show. I forgot to plug, plug the. That's ah, okay. You know, <laughs> well, someday, someday, th- that we'll day start is the podcast. Today, someday we'll start the podcast. How do you start someday. a podcast? How do you with start a plugging podcast? with plugging the podcast? Uh, <laughs> with plugging the podcast, and actually, Gail did a good job of already plugging Father Mike Schmidt's Bible Year. She did. Yeah. We did. So we didn't we even didn't have to, to, we didn't even have to talk about Father Mike Schmitz. We today. we checked off one of the check boxes that we have to do at every podcast, which is plug. Father Stop. Mike pause. Listen to Father Mike Schmidt's final year. Welcome back. Congratulations. Uh, We actually have a a listener who, because we keep saying that in the podcast, (laughs) has started listening to the Bible in a year podcast. And stopped listening to ours. And stopped listening to ours, which is fine. Which is fine. You should do that. Stop listening (laughs) to us. Stop, please. Father Mike Schmitz, come back. Welcome back. Uh, Any parting thoughts, Gail? I don't want to leave you hanging if you had uh, anything burning in your heart that you needed to... No, I Tell just the three wish people that isn't this. Both a blessed Advent and uh, you as well. Um, Merry Christmas and just very thankful for what you're doing. I think it's a it's a wonderful ministry, you know, that you two are involved in, and uh, just hope it goes well for you as you continue. Thanks. Well, thank you for coming on. We've it's been a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Well, the, re- the reason that uh, our ministry is so good here is because we have wonderful guests. If you would like to also be a guest, <laughs> here we go. Here, yes. you think you're uh, as wonderful uh, as Gail, it's going to be really hard. But uh, if you are you think that you can hack it with uh, two very okay-looking guys from Manitowoc, Wisconsin, it uh, doesn't have to be two hours and 15 minutes if your story is a lot shorter. Um, That's okay. That's okay. Uh, we haven't had an easy day in a while, so yeah, it's all good. We don't mind, you know. If you only want to talk for an hour, that's fine. Uh, you can email us at humblyspeakingpod at gmail dot com. I think that's still the email. That's it is. great. Yeah. Um, or if you ever see John or I at, at at mass, you can just say like, "Hey, I want to be in the show," or "Hey, I think this person would be really good to to have on the show." Yeah. Um, God willing, John is going to be. Uh, uh, a uh, very busy man. <laughs> yeah, about uh, a month. About a month. Uh, welcoming a baby into the world. So, yeah. Uh, the more we can plan out ahead of time uh, would be would be great. Yeah, let us know. Uh, so, um, yeah, humbly speaking, potagemail.com. Um, you can rate us or whatever. I don't know. I think somebody rated us one star. Loki, I think it was my brother. <laughs> That's a brother move to do. It would be. That's a brother. It move. would be. Yeah. It would be. Give me five. I'm giving you. One. <laughs> <laughs> I think if anybody ever tells me, rate us on Google or whatever, rate us five stars on Google. I'm like, I want to rate you one now. <laughs> or like any advertisement. If there's an advertisement for something, I don't want to buy that thing. Right. 
I, I have gotten further away from buying this thing because you've told me to buy this thing. Yeah, rate my ad. I'm not going to rate your ad. <laughs> I, I want to watch the next video. Okay. <laughs> Unless it's a car commercial, in which case yeah. I don't want to buy your car because it's $36,000. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Without bucko. heated seats. So. Yeah, without heated seats. Like, give me the heated seats at least. It's next to 5K. $36,000. Too much. Too much. Go get a college education instead. <laughs> right. Yeah. At a state school. Yeah. At a state school. Um, right. So uh, we are uh, we are praying for you. I pray for everyone who listens to the podcast um, quite often. Um, so we hope that you're praying for us. We're praying for you. Uh, blessed be Jesus Christ. Praise Amen. be Jesus Christ. That's the word. Amen.